the Scriptures. Uh, we are um, seeking to get to grips with the Bible in our evening service, and we are reading tonight uh, from the book of Joshua. Um, we have reached uh, the era uh, when the people uh, of God, the descendants of Abram, uh, who had been down in Egypt for 430 years, then had been brought up out of Egypt, and over the next 40 years wandered through the wilderness because of their unbelief, and now they're up on the plains of Moab, on the eastern side of the river Jordan, and they're looking across into their inheritance that we just sung of, the land of Canaan. And so, uh, Joshua is now their leader, Moses is now dead, and the Lord now addresses Joshua uh, about the inheritance that he is going to give his people through Joshua. Uh, and then we want to read through to Hebrews to realize that this is not the final inheritance, Canaan. Uh, and so to discover what the final inheritance is. Let's read then Joshua chapter 1. Uh, we're reading on page 216 in the Church Bible. Page 216. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Great Sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea, on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people... Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. We're turning now to Joshua chapter 23. And... Between these two chapters is a period of 21 years or thereabouts. And that's the period that they, during which they conquered the land and entered the land and inherited the land. And now we read at the very end of Joshua's life, his work is done, the land has been entered uh, and he speaks to the people looking to the future, and he's wanting to make sure that they don't slacken in their commitment and lose the land, lose their inheritance. So verse 
1 of Genesis of Joshua chapter 23. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the great sea in the west. The Lord God, your, the Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not evoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day no one has been able to withstand you. One of you writes a thousand, because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods, and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. And so then finally, we turn to the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4. And now, the Lord Jesus, who was with the people as they crossed into Canaan and gave them victory in Canaan, the Lord has now come in the flesh and he's lived and died and returned to heaven. And here now, the apostle talks about the rest that Joshua gave and the rest that Christ gives. Hebrews 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, his inheritance still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said 
So I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Amen. Getting to grips with the Bible. This is a series of 12 um, studies, if you want to call it that, 12 addresses that will seek to take us through the entire Scriptures and to show us the different eras in the history uh, of the Bible, to show us the timeline. Uh, of the Bible and how it can be divided into 12 eras from the era of beginnings Genesis 1 when God made all things to the era of silence the era that we now live in when there's no new revelation from God and we await the coming of Christ down from the heavens and the purpose of this series uh, is so that you and I, as we open our Bibles, and as we come to any book of Scripture, we will immediately know which era that book of Scripture fits into. And we'll be able to read that book of Scripture, seeing how it points us to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. The one whom we need to know and to love and to serve and believe in in order to have salvation and eternal life. And tonight we come to the third era. We've thought already about the era of beginnings. That was the book of Genesis. We thought about the era of the Exodus. And a month ago that took in the journey from Egypt, and God is now bringing the people to this land which he's promised. And that took in not just the book of Exodus, but also Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if you missed those studies, there is a handout that goes with those messages, and the messages themselves will be on the podcast on the internet. And so tonight we come to the third era, the era of the conquest. The era of the conquest. And this era is about uh, the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, known as Israel, known as the Jews, now on the east side, looking into Canaan, entering into Canaan. Now Canaan had been promised to Abraham. That was 600 years earlier. And now the promise of God is going to come to fulfilment. And tonight as we look at this, uh, this era, uh, it is the era of their inheritance. 
because the land of Canaan is everywhere spoken of by God as their inheritance in Christ and through Christ in the Old Testament. And it's important for us to note that because that then will help us to see how we are to use this book. We will move from tonight from the inheritance that they had as Jews to the inheritance that we have as Christians. And uh, the things that were happening in their lives to enter their inheritance and to consolidate their inheritance and to retain their inheritance, those same things have got to happen in our lives. They're things we're to guard against and they're things that we are to do and to pursue. It's striking that the word inheritance is used 44 times in the book of Joshua. So this is not really, it's not ultimately about gaining a piece of land. It's about coming into their inheritance. We want to look at the book tonight under and to divide it tonight into four sections. And if you look at the left hand column on your sheet, you'll see we're going to think about entering their inheritance. Secondly, warring or battling or fighting for their inheritance. Thirdly, consolidating their inheritance. And fourthly and finally, retaining their inheritance. If you look at the second column, you'll see the dates. This is dated from 1409 before Christ. That's when we begin. And remember, the Old Testament and before Christ, you count down the ways. We count up the ways today. Well, you count down in the Old Testament. And so we come to the year 1388, a period of 21 years. This book spans around 21 years. In terms of location or geography, you're to think of east of the Jordan, that's where they begin, the plains of Moab. And then they cross this river into what was known as Canaan in that time. Uh, known today uh, as Palestine and by various other names. And so the, the major location for the book uh, is the land of Canaan. In terms of key figures, uh, Joshua is their leader. And Joshua means the Lord saves. And so he points to Christ. Uh, the Christ who saves. Um, and it's the Old Testament Hebrew word for Jesus. Now under Joshua you'll see um, that uh, in the same column we have Eliezer, and he was the high priest. He was the religious leader. Not that Joshua was an irreligious man, because Joshua is a believing leader. Uh, but uh, Eliezer is responsible for all the things to do with worship. And then I put in Caleb as well, because Caleb is the other guy that has survived with Joshua the journey from Egypt through the wilderness into Canaan because they were the only two men who believed that they could have entered into Canaan 40 years earlier if the rest of the people had not rebelled against the Lord. And so Caleb with Joshua is a tremendous example of someone uh, who has a strong, constant, steadfast faith in uh, the Lord. Now, looking then at the major divisions this evening, we want to think first of all about entering their inheritance. Uh, and I've divided the book of Joshua um, and shown you the chapters, and this hopefully will make it easy for you to read the book of Joshua profitably. Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 5 verse 12 is about making that initial entry. Getting from the plains of Moab across the river Jordan 
And if you read in the Old Testament, the River Jordan, that was no mean feat to get across that river. And as it were, getting their feet into the land of Canaan. Uh, And so, um, in this uh, opening section, as we read there, we see the Lord preparing Joshua. And in fact, uh, by Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, the next section, the Lord Jesus actually appears to Joshua as the commander of the Lord's army around the walls of Jericho. And he basically says to Joshua, now who are you? And he puts, Joshua says back, and who are you? And Joshua is made to realize, I'm the foot soldier here. And Christ is the captain of the army of Israel. And so, um, entering the land of Canaan, how do they get from the plains of Moab into the land? Well, God, the Lord, works a miracle for them at the river Jordan. It is parted. In the same way uh, as the Red Sea was parted as they left Egypt, as they went out of Egypt. Now the Jordan is parted. Um, Chapters 3 and 4 of Joshua uh, as the people enter Canaan. That brings us then to the second era. Because now that they are in the land... They are here, and there are people that fill the land in every direction. And immediately there stands this very strong, fortified city called Jericho. And it was a citadel. It was guarded in every side and every direction. And so the question is now, how do we get from entering the land to actually taking the land? And taking our inheritance. And you see, to do that, they're going to have to fight. They're going to have to carry on a war. And so from Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, through to Joshua chapter 12, verse 24, we have the conquest. We have them, as it were, conquering the land of Canaan. First of all, the city of Jericho. This um, city that's so formidable in its defences. And how was it conquered? Again, it was by a miracle. The Lord did it. They never, um, uh, uh, they didn't do a thing apart from walking round the walls. And it was the Lord who caused the walls to collapse and caused them to enter. And they're being taught at the very, very beginning, this is God's war. This is the Lord's battle. And he will fight against Israel's enemies. He will fight for them. Though they are to be obedient. And their success is dependent on their obedience to the Lord. And so once they've conquered the city of Jericho, what they do then is they cut a swathe across the middle of the land. Uh, And that's Joshua chapter 9, verse 1 to chapter 10, verse 28. And then once they have divided the land, as it were, in two, and they have have, uh, established themselves through the battles, as the Lord gave them victory, then they go to the south and they conquer the south. And then they come back um, and they go to the north. To the north. And at the very end of Joshua uh, chapter 12, uh, we are given a record of all the kings that have been conquered uh, and Again, it is a celebration, not of what the people have done, but of what the Lord has done for his people in defeating their enemies as his people have acted in faith and obedience. The one exception to that, faith and obedience, 
was of course the city of Ai. Uh, and they were defeated there because one individual and his family had acted unfaithfully and unbelievingly and disobeyed the Lord. And so for a moment and for a period they were defeated. So their victory in the Lord, their success in this battle depends on their obedience to the Lord. Now that brings us then thirdly to consolidating their inheritance. Because now they're not only in the land and they've not only established themselves in the centre and to the south and to the north in the land, they now must consolidate. There is still, this is about them now claiming the land and settling in the land and establishing themselves firmly in the land. We might call it occupying their inheritance. Perhaps that would be a better uh, title. And it runs from chapter 13, verse 1, through to chapter 22 and verse 34. And if you read through this cha- these chapters, you come across strange names. And they can seem very dull and irrelevant to us. But every one of those names and every one of those places, as the Lord's people occupy those places, it's saying the Lord is faithful to his people and he's faithful to his purpose and the Lord is faithful to his word. And as um, one um, minister has put it, Roger Crooks, there is nothing dull about that. There's nothing dull about the Lord being faithful to his word and to his people and his purposes and his promises. It is indeed the most exciting and wonderful thing to know that in our lives. But you see, here's the point as you read through chapter 13, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 34. Here's what you've got to look out for. You've got to look out for some of the people not occupying their inheritance, not consolidating their inheritance, not kneeling down their inheritance. And they act in unbelief and they act in disobedience. And in contrast to that, you have others like Caleb and Joshua. And they go and they gain, they claim their inheritance. They're part of the land that the Lord has given to them. And they, they take it and they do so by faith and by obedience. And you see, that reminds us how is the inheritance consolidated? Today, that's why we read from Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll come back to this later. But among the Lord's professing people today, it is possible for us at one point to be showing faith, but at another later point to be acting in unbelief and in disobedience. And so we don't consolidate our inheritance that is offered to us in Christ. And so as you read this section of Joshua, watch out for that, because that's the challenge. And there's a warning against unbelief. And there is an encouragement and a comfort to those who exercise faith and obedience in the Lord. And so we come then to the fourth and final section, which is about retaining their inheritance. Those who have done well and who have settled down in their inheritance and they have claimed it and they have made it their own. That's wonderful. But you see, they need to retain that. And Joshua, as he looks at the people, he has a slight concern arising within him. And his concern is this. That the Lord's people are becoming battle-weary. And they're beginning to say, 
can we not have it a bit easier? And they're beginning to slacken in their bid and in their responsibility to um, to have this inheritance and to develop this inheritance and to retain this inheritance. And that's why there in Joshua chapter 23, Joshua warns the people and he says, you are a covenant people. You're part of my covenant people. I've made a solemn promise to you and you have covenant responsibilities. And if you evade those, the result will be disaster for you and for your households and for your tribe. And over and against that, he's saying to them, but if you keep the covenant, and if you serve the Lord, um, as I and my household intend to do, if you do that, then there will be blessing untold and unending. And so the final section is about retaining their inheritance. Now before we come to think about how this and to look more fully at how this applies to us, I want to deal with an issue that people sometimes have when they read the book of Joshua. And other Old Testament or other parts, sorry, of the Old Testament scriptures. And I had someone who expressed this to me in an email in the past week. Someone that had contacted me as a result of the distribution of the calendars and we had had an email conversation and um, uh, he'd asked me some questions. I'd answered those and then he came back and the second email was very revealing because it showed all the things that he had tried to learn himself about religion and about faith. And one of his points was you can't read the Old Testament without seeing it's just a warmongering people. It's blood and it's war and it's guts and gore and how can this be of God and how can this be right? And so I want to deal with that thorny issue of Israel's treatment of the Canaanites because what had the Lord said to them? The Lord had said you're to put them to death. You're not to allow them to live. Now how do we deal with that? Well there are a number of factors that we've got to take into consideration. Uh, and if you have um, Roger Crook's book which I recommend very, very highly uh, on the overall teaching of the Bible and the books of the Bible um, you'll find it very, very helpful in this point. But there's, there's, there's a response that we can make at three levels. First of all, I want you to see that this is, by and large, not the norm. It's not the norm that the Lord's people were told that you go and you exterminate. And you put man, woman and child to death. Normally, an enemy would be asked to surrender and only if they refused to do so would they be attacked. Why then is it that the Lord insists that these people be put to death? Well, it's for this reason. It's to protect his people. It's to protect them. The Lord knows what the hearts of his people are like and how quickly and how easily they will look at the Canaanites, they'll look at their women, and they'll say, there's a nice looking woman. Or the girls will look at their men, and they'll say, there's a nice looking man. Or they'll look at their gods and say, well, you know, there's something in that religion that I can agree with. And maybe we shouldn't be monotheistic, believing in only one God. And you see, if God's people at this stage begin to compromise with the unbelieving Canaanites, 
Do you know what's going to happen? The Christ is not going to come. Because the godly line is going to be merged in with the ungodly and sucked into the ungodly. And so no one is ultimately going to be saved. And so it is for the purpose of saving his people and keeping them and bringing the Christ from them and protecting them from the unbelief that's around them. That's why the Lord says you put the Canaanites to death. That's one reason. But there's a second reason. Do you remember what God said to Abraham 600 years before this? Do you remember God didn't give Abraham not a single acre of land or ground in Canaan? All Abraham had at the end of his life was a brow plot. And why did the Lord not give the land to Abraham 600 years before that? Because the cup of my wrath against the Canaanites is not yet full. God was going to give the Canaanites opportunity year after year from the time Abram entered that land for 600 years to repent, to believe, to be saved. And the point is they would not repent, they would not believe and they were not saved and so they came into judgment. Now, if we have a problem with that in the Old Testament, we will have a problem with that in the New Testament. Because that is what the New Testament also teaches. That God and Christ stretches out his hands all day long to the human race. And he commands all men everywhere to repent and to believe and to be saved. And tonight, if you're in church and you're not saved, that is his command and that is his call to you. But with that comes also a solemn warning. Because the world around us that does not repent of their sin and does not believe in the Christ, what is going to happen? There is sure and certain judgment for those who reject the Christ. And so God's judgment of the Canaanites... A, there is great mercy and that he's given them time and opportunity to repent as in our day. But it's a pointer to his final judgment when those who rejected the Saviour will be punished in hell, body and soul, for all eternity. But then there's a third factor that we've got to always say to the person who finds fault with this war and death and judgment. And it is this. That even in this period and even to these Gentile people was there not grace? What about Rahab? Was she not a Canaanite who was saved in the very jaws in the very moment, in the very event of this judgment coming upon Canaan? What about the Gibeonites who came and lied to Israel about who they were and where they'd come from? And they were shown grace. And those Gibeonites eventually were brought into God's people by repentance and faith. And so alongside this judgment that is coming through the war that Israel carries out, there is grace. There is grace offered to any and every and all Canaanites who will repent. And if even at the eleventh hour the whole of Jericho had acted as Rahab had, and if the whole land had acted as Rahab had, then they would have been saved. And they would have received grace. And so no one, no one can accuse the judge of all the earth. The God of heaven. The God of salvation and grace in Christ of doing wrong. Because in wrath there is always mercy extended. Having dealt with that then, 
What's this book got to say to us? We're not inheriting the land, are we? Well, we need to think about this and see how it applies uh, to us today. What is Joshua's message to us today? Well, let's be clear. It has nothing to do with inheriting fields and towns and cities today. In this life, it has nothing to do with that. And that's not our inheritance today. But I want us to see that there is an inheritance. And the New Testament speaks as clearly and as powerfully to us about an inheritance that we are to enter. An inheritance that we have to war for. And war in. An inheritance that we have to consolidate. An inheritance that we have to retain to the very end. And what is that inheritance? Well, it is, first of all, salvation. This word inheritance in the New Testament, it's the word that's used of salvation. Inheriting the kingdom of God. Matthew 19, verse 29, is to inherit salvation, eternal life. And so there is an inheritance that is being offered today. And it's an inheritance that we are to enter. And how do we enter it? We enter it by a miracle. And the miracle is as great and as marvelous as Israel being taken across the river Jordan in dry land. The miracle is the new birth regeneration where we're made new in Christ and we're taken out of our sin and we're brought into Christ and we believe into him and we're saved and that's why we read Hebrews chapter 4 and I can't take time tonight to go down all the extreme right hand column but I want you to take time and to go through and look at the Joshua passages and then at the New Testament fulfilment because it shows us how the inheritance under Joshua points us to our inheritance in Christ and in salvation. And so I ask you this evening have you entered the inheritance that is salvation in Christ? Or are you here tonight as one outside of Christ? The only way that you will inherit salvation is by believing into the Christ. That Joshua and these people believed into. And the Christ, what does he do? Well, like Joshua did with Jericho. He establishes a foothold in your life and mine. Is that the whole story? No, it isn't. What he does then is his rule has got to be established to the south and the north from the top of my head to the tip of my toe to my whole entire being. And that's what we learn from Joshua chapter 1 and through to chapter 5 and then from chapter 5 to, through to chapter 12. And how is it that the Christ establishes his rule from the top of my head to the tip of my toes? So that I reflect the Christ. How does it happen? Well there's a war. That's going on inside us. And if you're going to have an inheritance in Christ. You've got to realise. You're going to be a soldier. And you're going to have to fight. And you're going to have to do battle. With the old sinful nature. That the Bible calls the flesh. And you're going to have to do battle with the world out there which says there is no God and there is no salvation and there is no heaven and there is no hell. And you're going to have to do battle with the devil who comes with all kinds of subtle temptations 
And so we are in a war. And we've got to war for our inheritance. But we don't do it in our own strength, you see. That's the point. Even as Israel didn't take the land and war in her strength, we war in the strength of the Lord. And it's the Lord Jesus day by day that gives us victory as we trust in him and obey him. But then this inheritance that we enter into in Christ through faith and repentance that we battle for and we war for, it's got to also be consolidated. Consolidated. And we've got to um, develop it and deepen it. And that means chapters 13, 1 of Joshua to chapters 22, verse 34 says, Don't be like the people who got cosy with the Canaanites. And became complacent. Don't become complacent with sin. That remains within you. Or the world around you. Or the devil against you. But be like Joshua. And be like Caleb. Keep on going. And nailing down your inheritance in Christ. By refusing to give an inch. To the flesh. And the world and the devil. And that's where those New Testament references in Hebrews and Peter come in. But then you see, having entered our inheritance and having done war for years and, and claimed much of the ground of our lives for Christ and uh, doing that and Keeping on doing that, we've got to do that to the end. And that's why with this phrase, this phase in our lives, retaining our inheritance. And you see, you and I can never slack in our inheritance and concerning our inheritance until we draw the last breath in our bodies. Only then. Only then is our inheritance ultimately and totally and completely uh, in its entirety and in its finality. And you see, that's why the New Testament talks about us making our calling and our election sure. Uh, that's why in... Uh, uh, that's First Peter chapter 3 verse 4. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 talks about us looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's why the New Testament warns us about the danger of unbelief. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse um, 25. And he's writing here to the Lord's people. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Not now, not tomorrow, not to the end of your life. If they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, how much less will we, if we turn away from him, who warns us from heaven? And you see, it's ultimately Revelation chapter 21 and verse 7. And where we read these words, He who overcomes will inherit all this. So we've got to keep on battling. Got to keep on going. Tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, never Resting on our laurels. Because when we think we stand. That's the moment. We're in danger. Of falling. Falling. It's a glorious book. If you haven't grasped it. Go and read it. And read it with New Testament eyes. 
and see its message to you concerning the inheritance that is salvation in Christ and how to enter it and how to war for it and how to consolidate it and how to retain it to the very end. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Almighty God, for the glorious scriptures that you have given to us. This book is not old-fashioned. It is not out of date, even in its parts that go back 4,000 years. We thank you, Lord God, that from this book of Joshua, the one whose name means He saves. The Lord saves. The one whose name is Jesus in the New Testament. We thank you that from this book we learn about salvation. The inheritance that Christ gives to those who believe. Those whom he regenerates. And how how they and we are to war the good we're to fight the good fight we're to fight not with weapons that are carnal but we're to do our battle in the Lord we're to pull down the strongholds of Satan that are in us and around us and that he presents to us help us to do that help us to consolidate our salvation in Christ day by day week by week year by year until the end when we hear your voice saying to us well done good and faithful servant enter into your rest enter into your inheritance Lord, for any tonight who are not in Christ and have not seen the inheritance that is salvation in him, open their eyes, grant them faith, repentance, obedience to Christ and love for him in Jesus' name. Amen.